Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Instructional Design Career Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping new and aspiring instructional designers get the knowledge, skills, and confidence to stand out in the field and land their first corporate instructional design job. I'm your host, Jill Davidian, and think of this podcast as a way to put my over 20 years of corporate ID experience in your back pocket. I've helped over 500 new instructional designers successfully transition into the field, and I know what hiring managers are looking for. Whether you're looking for a career change and exploring if instructional design is right for you, or you know you want to become an ID and have no idea how to get started, you are in the right place. Join me each week for actionable guidance as we explore how to build your portfolio, transform your resume, and interview with confidence. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. So today we're going to talk about why instructional design as a career is recession-proof. And yes, I said it. I do feel, and this is my opinion, but I do feel that instructional design is recession-proof. And I'm going to give you a few reasons why. Now, I have been in this field for about 20 years, a little over 20 years. And so I went through the 2008-2009 recession in instructional design The other one that I don't know if everyone is familiar with, but I do like to talk about because it did affect me is in Houston in about 2014, 2015, 2016, we had a downturn in the economy here in the oil and gas industry, which is really big here in Houston. And so it felt like a recession, even though it really wasn't for the rest of the country. But at the time I was working instructional design in the oil and gas industry. And I know that right now was an uncertain time for a lot of folks as well. So I wanted to talk through some of those things and why I do really feel like even through the ups and downs, this is really, really a solid career. One of the reasons why I really feel like this field is recession proof is that you can do it in any industry. And so if you think about it, just talking about oil and gas, if you were a petroleum engineer, you couldn't really go to, I don't know, some kind of retail company that their corporate office and become a petroleum engineer, they just don't have them. You know, something really specific, like healthcare, right? Like you can't just go be a nurse at an airline unless maybe you're working in their clinic that they have on site or something like that. And so there's certain positions where they're very specific. And so if that particular industry is not doing well, then you might be out of a job. If oil and gas is crashing, if you have a very specific finance job and that industry goes down or you know something relating to lending or something like that. And so instructional design is not like that because you can do it for any company. It's like a lot of other support functions like HR and accounting and things like that. But the nice thing about that is a lot of times it's not every industry. Like say, for example, when COVID was starting, The hospitality industry was not the industry to be working in. The restaurant industry, travel, airlines, all of those industries were not good in 2020. They were not doing well. And so if you had a job as an instructional designer for an airline, could you have potentially lost that job in 2020? Yeah, I actually know of a couple who did. But could you then go become an instructional designer for a bank that wasn't crashing in 2020? Absolutely. And so that's one of the nice things is that because instructional design is done and training is done in pretty much every single organization in the world, 
including nonprofits, including government, including education, if you want to go that route, even though we talk about corporate on this podcast, every single company, whether it's banking or property management or government, like I said, or cybersecurity, IT, or just retail, sales, customer service, healthcare, insurance, they all hire instructional designers. And so rarely are we in a place where every single industry is crashing. And so that's one thing. The second thing is that where change happens, instructional design or corporate training is needed. Now, when does change happen in the workplace? Literally all the time. Literally all the time. Sometimes it's good change. Sometimes it's not so good change. For example, even when COVID happened, all of a sudden, healthcare workers had to be trained on PPE, which if you don't know what PPE is, it's personal protective equipment, which is the stuff that they have to wear to not get COVID, right? It's all of the extra gear, all of the face masks and gloves and things that they're not used to wearing. I mean, they do wear gloves when they're working, but you know, all the extra stuff that they had to wear to prevent themselves from getting COVID. They had to be trained on how to use that and how to do new procedures. Different companies had new procedures with COVID. There were companies that were now sending people to work from home. And because of that, things that were done in the office now had to be done differently. And somebody had to train on those. They used to have this job called a contact tracer back in the beginning when they thought they could trace COVID to certain people and quarantine them. And they didn't realize it was going to be so widespread. Well, those contact tracers had training in order to become a contact tracer. So even with COVID, there is training that was needed and lots and lots of companies had to adopt that training. Natural disasters, all these things that are not great, all create needs for training. All of the different things that we have to look out for safety-wise and all of that in this country that's very unfortunate, all requires training. On the flip side, training is often good. Like if there's new software, there's new technology, training is needed. New policies and procedures, new things are invented, new products that companies are offering, they have to train their employees on. New employees, people are changing to get different jobs and things like that, and they have to train their new hires. There is always change going on, always. It is happening constantly. And so anytime that happens, people need to be trained on it. And so it's really job security for us because there's never not a need for training. And so that's something that I think is really important to understand is it's not like it's just right now, you know, even with the training for COVID, it's not like, oh my goodness, there's all this need for training and then it's going to die down. There are always needs for training. There's always something new. And so it's inevitable that our world is just constantly changing. And so that's, in my mind, really close to having job security. The other thing is that prior to COVID, there were still some companies who would do training in person. And so when you do training in person, what we call instructor-led training, there's an instructor at the front of the room and there's people in the room. Now that instructor, it's kind of a little bit of a lowish barrier of entry to become an instructor who is training people in a room. A lot of times you just have to be knowledgeable about whatever you're training them on because you're just standing up there and talking about it. Now, that's why often we see really bad trainers because they don't really engage the people that are in the training and everyone's falling asleep. But can they actually deliver the material? 
Can they physically stand there and talk about whatever this topic is? Absolutely. Will it be engaging? Will people be paying attention? Will they learn anything? Different story. But can somebody deliver it in the front of a room pretty easily that maybe has at least some knowledge about the topic? Absolutely. Now, e-learning was becoming much more popular than instructor-led training way before COVID because companies realized that they could actually roll out training in mass. They didn't have to send people all to one location if they had uh, different offices all around the country, around the world. They didn't have to send everybody to one location to take the training, or they didn't have to fly an instructor all over the place. And so e-learning also ensures that you don't have to have everyone taking the training at one time. You can have people do it at different times. Like for example, if you have a call center You don't have to have everybody in the call center off the phones. You can have people take it in the morning, some take it in the afternoon, some people take it the next day. So e-learning really opened up a lot of possibilities and started to get more popular in the last few years. But there were some holdouts. It's kind of like that whole remote working thing. A lot of companies, some companies, not a lot, but some companies have been holding out and saying, well, we need to get back in the office because people can't really do their job if I can't see them do it, right? which we know isn't true, but some people that are old school think that way. And so it was the same thing with training. They were like, if I don't see them being trained in a room, they're not really getting trained. And so they didn't want to change to e-learning. Well, when COVID hit, they pretty much were forced to because everybody was at home. And so because they were forced to, and because they did change a lot to e-learning, they're not going back. And so they're like, Okay, going forward, going back to that whole change thing, training is constantly needed. Nobody's ever done with training. No company ever is. The future training is going to be e-learning also because we're not going to go back to doing instructor-led after we've already got all this e-learning. And the thing about that, and the reason why I'm talking about that, is because e-learning requires a whole different set of skills. It's not like just taking that person and putting them in the front of a room and saying, talk about this. Even if you don't really know much about training, talk about it anyway. E-learning requires certain software skills. It requires engaging people in a way that you have to really be well-versed in. It's not the same as talking to them in person. Even if you just talk about the skill level involved in the tools, which there's way more to it than that, but even if you talk about that at a basic level, that person who's just an expert at that topic is not going to know how to use those tools. They're just not. And so a lot of companies who got by without hiring instructional designers are now realizing, oh, crap, I need instructional designer to do this. Like, I have to hire instructional designer. Or they might not have even realized instructional designers exist because the field is still fairly new, which also is really awesome because there's so much potential in it. But they realized real quick when they realized that that person who's an expert at XYZ couldn't do that and they did a little research, they were like, oh, there's a whole field who does this. And so now there's so much more learning that is e-learning that even though we as instructional designers also create instructor-led and virtual instructor-led training, we didn't necessarily create all of it because like I said, sometimes they would just have somebody do it. Well, e-learning, they pretty much have no choice. They have to hire an instructional designer, an e-learning developer, which is a similar role to do that. And so it's become much more common for instructional designers to be hired. Now, the field really is exploding right now. It was a $250 billion field in 2020. It's supposed to be expanding to $1 trillion. That, of course, is an estimation that 
has come from several different sources. You can Google the e-learning industry and learn more about the different stats, but it's supposed to be moving to 1 trillion by 2026. Because there is so much demand for it right now, we've had a lot of people getting jobs in the last couple of months, despite what is going on in the economy. And even with that, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, that it really does go back to certain fields like tech that are not doing the best right now. But if you're an instructional designer in tech, you can get out and move to a different field. And so it's growing so rapidly. And it is due to all the things that I mentioned. Another thing to keep in mind and why I really do feel ideas recession proof is that there are a lot of different ways to work in this field. And that is often not the case with a lot of fields where you can get a full-time job. And so then if they're laying off, then they lay you off maybe, and then that's it. In instructional design, you can work as a full-time employee. You can work as a contractor. You can work as a freelancer having your own business. And so the difference between that is you can work as a contractor for a company, like on a full-time contract for several months, or you can take on your own clients as a freelancer that are kind of part-time here and there. There's lots of different ways to work in this field. And so you're going to pick the one that works best for you. And you may pivot to various different ways of working at various points in your life, depending on what's going on in your life. But the reason why I bring this up is because let's say a company is laying off their full-time employees because that's where they're at and they have to do that. I'm not saying that won't ever happen. It's possible that it might. It's happened to me once in my 20-year career, but actually it wasn't because of the economy. It was because my job was moving to London, but it may happen to you once in your career. But like I said, you can pivot to another company. There's always companies hiring, all those kinds of things. But If a company's laying off and they happen to lay you off, a lot of times these companies who lay off full-time employees still have training needs. In fact, they may have more training needs because now they have to train people that weren't even doing the job on how to do the job and do more with less because now they have half the staff. So those training needs don't change. They just change who does it. So maybe they have contractors do it instead of full-time employees because contractors don't have as much liability because they're not paying them benefits and all of those kinds of things. So it may not be your first choice to be a contractor, but if push came to shove and you couldn't get a job as an employee, you do have that option of doing contract, whereas a lot of times you don't have that option in other fields. When oil and gas was crashing a few years ago, I had a full-time contract at one particular oil company, and they had to end that contract because of the way that the oil was going and the economy. And I was able to get a contract at another oil company in the midst of oil crashing. And that company, the second one that I got the contract at, was actually in the process of laying off people. They were hiring me as a contractor, full-time contractor, working 40 hours a week. I worked there almost a year as they were laying off people. I saw several rounds of layoffs happening but they were hiring contractors because they still had work to do. And so, like I said, it may not be your preferred way of working, but it is an option. Whereas if you get laid off in a different field, it may not be an option. And so this doesn't happen very often. Like I said, um, I did have a contract that ended because of funding. And then I've had one full-time job that just ended up moving to London. So I don't think that really counts that much. 
but that's pretty much it going through the recession and going through this downturn in oil and gas. And like I said, right now, there's lots and lots of people getting jobs in instructional design as well. So I just wanted to give you a free reasons why that I really do feel like this is a solid field that is a little bit different than going into a different field in corporate. And so I hope that helps you to understand all of the possibilities and that it helps you to feel a little bit more at ease. I really, truly feel like this field is booming and it's going to continue to boom. And we really are at the ground floor of this boom that we're going to see in this field over the coming years. So I hope that was helpful for you as always. And I will see you next week on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Instructional Design Career podcast. I hope you've gained valuable insights that will help you on your instructional design journey. Did you have a moment of clarity? Maybe you have some additional questions. Let's discuss in my Facebook group, which can be found in the description below and in the show notes at learningstrategyanddesign.com slash podcast. If you love the show and want to hear more, follow the podcast and give me a rating and review. Let me know if there's a specific topic you'd like me to cover or a guest you'd like me to have on the show. You can also check out more resources for breaking into instructional design on my website, learningstrategyanddesign.com. Stay tuned next week as I bring you more tips, tools, and strategies to jumpstart your instructional design career.